Good evening. We give Christ the glory for the baptism earlier today. We give Christ the glory for the influx of members of this congregation who have been placing their membership here. And we should give Christ the glory for the fellowship and brotherhood and sisterhood that we feel here in this congregation. It's a great thing to be in Christ and to be part of His church. And what a glory it is to say that you have a part in that and to pass on to our children and to everyone who will listen. Tonight we're going to look at the quotes of Jesus. The quotes of Jesus. Now Jesus has said a lot. But as Jesus speaks, he usually says something that can be applied to your everyday life. First, we're going to look at who's your brother and your sister. If you think about it, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 50. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister. Now, here in the context, you'll see it says whoever So that means that's anyone or all people have the opportunity for this to happen in their life. That's what I mean by when he quotes things like this, you can apply it to your life for whoever that's everyone and anyone does. That's the action on your part. So whoever that's everyone has the opportunity who does that somebody is doing something. What are you going to be doing? The will that is what God has taught And what God has asked us to do, not only to become a Christian, but also to spread the gospel, be a pure church, and to live your life faithfully. If you do these things, you can be a part of God's family. So the first quote that we're looking at here is, doing the will of the Father, to be a part of a family, to have brothers and to have sisters, which far trumps everyone's friendships. This is a family that will last for eternity. Look what he says about um, being humble. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 12. And whoever exalts himself. So if you puff yourself up, if you bring yourself up, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, you can think about this in in, um, modern terms. There are always people who we consider to be cocky or arrogant, you know, someone who holds themselves up so high. No, I'm going to do this, this, that, and the other, and you are worthless and below me. And this happens in sports. It happens in games. Don't get Christians around board games because this will come out, right? So you have this will to, to win, but you don't even, you don't always need to show that kind of, um, you know, arrogance. But Jesus is saying, he who, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Paul says it another way. He says, take heed lest you fall. Right? Take heed lest you fall. Don't be boastful. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Again, look at this. Whoever. So all people can learn from this lesson. I would go so far as to say even non-Christians can learn from this lesson. Don't puff yourself up because there's always someone better. There's always someone that can take that out of you. And there's always the opportunity for you to lose. So he's just saying, humble yourself. Who can do it? All people. What does exalt mean? To lift yourself up above others. Person who is bragging and so forth. What about humbled? Making himself low. 
You know what that means is putting God first and saying, what I have is because God has given it to me. Whatever that is, whether that's talents, whether that's health, whether that's a family, a job, or whatever it may be, everything that is in your possession is not even yours. God has given it to you. And if God has given you this, you can humble yourself and say, I am but a vessel. I'm here to do His will. If you humble yourself, the Bible says, He, that is God, will lift you up. And so you humble yourself. And who is this going to be for? It's exaltation for God's people and whoever will humble themselves. Look at this, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's the quote. So what did he say to them? He said to them, that means communication. He is communicating with his disciples with people who trust Him and follow Him and want to learn of Him. So Jesus is the master teacher here in this quote, and He's communicating with them. Now the question becomes, will they listen? What do you mean you'll make us fishers of men? What, so Jesus is communicating and giving them something. And what does He say? Follow me. Follow me. Most are, that are in this room are in this state. They're in the follow me portion. I'm following. I'm faithful. I come to church, but I haven't been fishing. Right? And so when you think about that, everybody loves fishing, but you have to make special time for it. Now I'm talking about, you know, fishing, fishing right now, being an angler. You don't just get to get up every day and go out and go fishing. No, you got to plan it. You got to look at the weather. You got to make sure you're off or free for however long. You got to make sure you have the right tackle, the right poles, the right reels, the right boat, the right vest, the right gas, extra gas, a trolley motor just in case your other motor breaks. Them. And then you're going to need your, um, your oars just in case all that breaks. And you better take someone with you. And don't forget your little GPS thing that's going to show you where the fish are, your little sonar. And there's more. We could keep going about everything you need. But you make it a point. People make it a point to go through all that to go fish. Why? Because it's hard. And they go fish and people just don't start catching fish all of a sudden everywhere they go. No, they find their spots. And this is why they have guides. Because some people are lazy. Can I say it that way? Right? Some people are lazy or they don't have enough time. And they get this guide because it's going to be fun, because that guide's going to take you right where the fish are. Because he has learned, he has exercised that education, he knows how to do what he's going to do, and he'll tell you, throw it right there. And you're thinking, there ain't nothing there, and you throw it, and there they are. And you catch your limit, then you get your pictures, everybody's gone fishing. Do you know, you can schedule that kind of event, you can schedule your life for fishing, but a lot of us have never scheduled an opportunity or a time for us to go fish for men and women to bring them into the church. Would we be successful the first time? The chances are no. But soon you'll be a guide and you'll tell people, let me take you over here. Let me show you how to do it. Why? Because it works. I can get it eight out of ten times. Let me show you how to do it. And then you bring the other Christian and you teach them. And before long, they're catching fish. And then they teach somebody. You see, what Jesus is teaching them is not far from our normal um, circumstances around, we, around what we live. We can understand what he's saying. 
But some of us have to go fishing in the first step. And some people have never fished. Now, I grew up in Port Lavaca, Texas. I'm changing this back so y'all don't read before me. I grew up in Port Lavaca, Texas, and everybody goes fishing. And we were on a pier. And we're way out there. We're, we're fishing for trout. Nobody's catching anything. Nobody's catching anything. I'm about 13 years old, maybe 12. And uh, I'm like, man, I need to catch a fish, please. I've been there for hours. My mom said, let's go. We're probably not going to catch nothing. I said, hold on, hold on. And I'm praying, Lord, let me catch a fish. Let me catch a nice fish. And I throw it out there. And it bit. And I caught a fish. It was a trout. I don't know if it was legal or not. I told my mom I'm keeping it. Right? So we didn't measure it. I grab it. I'm walking off the pier like this. Proud. And everybody who's looking at you, what'd you get? What you got? When'd you get it? Where'd you get it? How big is it? You mind your business. I'm walking with my fish. I'm going to eat this fish. But it didn't happen overnight. But it gets easier. And sometimes we need to pray to God. Help us catch a fish. And maybe you'll hook one. What about never thirsting again? John chapter 4, verse 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. So that's the earthly water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, that's the, the word of God, the, the, the spiritual nature of things, uh, that I give him or give them will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So when Jesus quotes this, what is he saying? He's saying, whoever drinks the water that I give, that means anyone is available to have this water. It's free. You've been to hot springs. People come from all over the place, driving hours to hot springs with all these empty gallons and they go get this water. They get this water. And I was talking to a woman there and I said, what are you getting all this water for? Do you need it? Is this your favorite water? Oh, I come from three hours away to get this water. And she loaded it up. Okay. And she said, I come over here because the water's free. You drive from three hours away. How much gas are you using? So you got a six hour trip. More than likely it's eight with stops. You're going to go eat somewhere. You should have just bought water (laughs) after all the money you're spending. But some water is special. And some water is just right. And what we need. And Christ is offering that kind of spiritual um, quenching to everyone. John 17 and verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The fountain of God is water springing up into everlasting life. It's interesting when Jesus quotes. He's talking to a Samaritan woman in this context. Uh, This woman's not supposed to be saved, not supposed to be able to be saved according to the law of Moses, the way the Jews taught it. So what is he saying here? Really, he's saying anyone who has a desire and who is thirsting after God can come to me and I will give them the quenching waters they need to have everlasting life. Now, that doesn't stop with that woman. 
That goes on today. And he needs fishermen. He needs fishermen out there. Look at John 10, verse 10 through 11. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Look at the declaration that he gives in this quote. I have come. So Jesus has purpose. He's come to be your leader. He's come to pastor the flock. Today, a lot of people in the new movements of Christianity, they follow just that. Um, A lot of them get swept away with movements and they'll follow a preacher. They'll follow pastors. They'll follow those things. And the whole time Jesus says, no, you come after me. And how do we know this? It's pretty easy. Because when you study with people and you are showing them what the Bible says, here's the, the, the biggest answer that I get back anyway, is oh, I'm going to have to go check on that. Where are you going to go check? We're looking at it right here. And they say, I'm going to have to ask my pastor. But Jesus is saying it right here. What does it matter what your pastor says? Well, I'm just going to have to go. He's my pastor and Jesus here is your pastor. When he says, I'm the good shepherd, the word shepherd literally can be translated pastor. It's the same word that is used in those contexts where you're using the word pastor. He is the good pastor. He is the head pastor. His word trumps all. He has come. He comes with purpose. He gives life. That's what he comes to give. That's the purpose. And when you go to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus and let him lead you, He will give you life abundantly. Now, it's important for us to constantly remind ourselves that that He has given us life abundant because we live in the world and we have to pay our mortgage and we have to pay all these things. We have to go to work. We have to do all these and we're involved in everything. And we get stressed out. We get caught up with everything else. And we can sometimes forget when we get overwhelmed that, no, 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 I'm already surrendered. I've surrendered my life to Christ. He is my shepherd. I know all these things He blesses me with. So I'm not going to worry about those things because He gives me, this is Christ, He gives me everything that I need. Food and raiment. That is shelter, clothing, and food. And with that, We should learn to be content. But when He gives it to you, He gives it abundantly. I want you to think about what Peter tells the beggar on the steps in the book of Acts. He says, I don't have gold and silver, but what I do have is worth more than that. And he had eternal life. Which one is more abundant? The gold and silver that you'll spend and have to pay taxes on and and trade out and lose track of? Or the eternal life. It's the eternal life. So Jesus is the good shepherd leading you to eternal life. He has come with the purpose. He comes to give life. He comes to give it abundantly. And he gave his life as an example to lead his people. To say, I'm willing to die for my sheep, for my people. It's interesting. Let's go through a a small exercise. It's interesting when you think about Jesus being the good shepherd, the one who's going to die for us. 
Well, the book of Acts tells us that God purchased the church with His own blood. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible teaches us that the purchasing price for the church... Now, now listen. Just pay, follow with me. The purchasing price for the church is the blood of the Lamb. There is one Lamb. That is Jesus the Christ. So God in the Old Testament gave a prophecy and said, in this certain time frame, in the book of Daniel, in this certain time frame, I'm going to put my church, my kingdom. And of course, we know that's in the Roman society, that, that A.D. 30 area, you know, 1 to 100-ish. So we know the time frame. God says in the Old Testament, my church is going to start in Jerusalem. We know the time period and we know the city where it's going to start. Okay? So he's telling you, uh, my, my kingdom is going to herald out of Jerusalem. It's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to start in this time frame. He says, my church through Jeremiah is going to have a doctrine that I put into your heart and it's going to come out of your mouth. It's going to be the doctrine of what? Second John and verse nine, the doctrine of Christ. So the church has a time. The church has a city that it's going to start. The church has a teaching. And then he says the church has a purchasing price. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. The church has the purchasing price. OK, now just take that and think about him being your good shepherd. If you are following the New Testament and you're going to be a Christian you would have to put this against everything. Let's think about this for a moment. And we'll just do one. Because everyone can be done like this. Alright. Let's go ahead and do the Catholic Church. Okay? The Catholic Church, I almost forgot one big one. And the church has been given a designation. That means the church has a name. Right? And it's been given in the New Testament. The Church of God, the Church of Christ. It's about it. The Church of the Firstborn is all about His Son. Nothing else. Now watch. The Catholic Church started in Rome. It's called the Roman Catholic Church. God said His church is going to start in Jerusalem. Okay? Wrong city. The Catholic Church started um, roughly 500-ish A.D. Um, some would say a little bit earlier than that. Well, the church that Christ died for started in A.D. 33. So you have the wrong time. You have the wrong name and the wrong place. The church name is Catholic Church, which means universal. That's what they, they call it. Well, who died on the cross? The universal? He didn't die on the cross. What died on the cross was Jesus Christ. So his blood owns that church. Now, the Catholic Church was started by a man. God said that my church will be purchased by my son's blood. So there is no pope or no man, Boniface or anyone else, that is going to be able to die for your sins and purchase the church. So when you look at it and look at the New Testament, you have the wrong time, the wrong city where it started, the wrong name associated with it because it doesn't have the right pastor, the right shepherd, the wrong doctrine because they teach you out of their books, their catechisms and so forth, and not just the Bible, and the wrong blood. Not one of them died on the cross to purchase that church. And here's the most important thing. Not one of them, of any religions that man has made, has the authority by God saying, you go ahead and start it. You started in this place, in this time, in this name, in this. You see, they all strike out. And the reason why is because they're following the wrong shepherd. 
Every single one of them started with a man. This one started with Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. So that's just something to think about when you think about what shepherd am I following? And of course, they were first called Christians at Antioch, which means they were called by their leader, Christians. They're Christians following Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. What is he teaching? But Jesus said, equals Jesus is communicating, Jesus is teaching, he's the master teacher. He equates little children like a child, loving, caring, forgiving. This is a child, pure, sinless in nature, right? Not, not out there knowingly doing things that are horrible. Such is the kingdom of heaven, which is what? Ultimately, pure in heart. Who's this for? Everyone. To understand that you have to be pure in heart like a child to go to heaven. And so you have to surrender your life and put on the life of Christ and to live that way, to be pure in heart and forgive everyone. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was spanked by my mom almost every day of my life, and I say that because my dad spanked me maybe three to four times because I remember every single one. But my mom, it was every other day. It was something I was getting, right? When I was real young, I would come to her and tell her I was sorry. I'm sorry, mama. I'm sorry. I'm the one that got whooped. But I'm telling her I'm sorry. And she's saying, I know, I know, I know. And then she does it again. And I, I'm sorry again. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. And I was young, very young. And I wanted to please my parents. And I forgave her instantly during the spankings. My sister used to come to my defense. This is after she would beat me up. She would come to my defense. Mom, stop whooping him. He doesn't deserve it. Well, she whooped me enough to be a preacher. So I don't know how much whoopings you really need. However, my sister would say, stop, mom, stop. And my mom would continue and continue. Well, I remember one day I got a little older and she whoops me. And I said, how horrible is she? She whoops me almost every day. Do you see the heart change? Yeah. God's saying the one before that, the one that forgives even though they're being whooped. They may not even know why, but they're forgiving. They're coming back and they're wanting to please. They want to love. They want to forgive. They want mercy. They want to all that. You think about Jesus on the cross. When they were whooping Him, what did He say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That's the purity in heart. That he's saying, what a great quote uh, for us to live by and to take from him to to remember that time in your life when you were like that. That's what we have to go back to. And the great thing is, is that God gives us a reference, not only him on the cross, Jesus on the cross gives us that reference of a pure heart and forgiveness like a child, but also gives us a remembrance of when we were children. We know what it's like. We know what to do. Look at this, the prescription for sinners. Luke five thirty one and 32. Jesus answered and tent- said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Look at what Jesus is saying. He gave the answer. 
And he said to them, that means I'm going to give you the answer in this quote here. Who needs Jesus? The sick, the ones who are sinning, and those who are repentful. So those who need to be fixed, that's the repentance part. Who's this for? It's for everyone. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So if you are willing to repent, you're the one that's calling on the physician. You're the one that has realized they're sick. And there's always one prescription. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And the blood of Christ will save you and put you in the church. You're not going to get a different prescription. It's not like going to the dentist. I have come to the conclusion that going to the dentist is like going to Jiffy Lube. Okay? You can go to Brown's Automotive across the street and go get your oil change. And you know what he does? He changes your oil. You get your car and you leave. You can say, hey, I need this plug, my tire. You know what he does? He plugs your tire and you leave. Your brakes? He does the brakes and you leave. You go to Jiffy Lou, I need my oil changed. Sir, come here, let's talk. It looks like you need an air filter. Maybe a cabin air filter also. You might want to have a detergent cleaning in your transmission. And also, we noticed that your blinker light was blinking a little bit off, so you're going to need a fuse here, there, and your wipers are bad. When's the last time you changed your wipers? And upon inspection, we've checked your, your brakes, and your brakes are about 60% gone, so you could change the pads or... Instead of wasting more money, you go ahead and change the pads and the, and the brakes themselves. And so we can get you here, and this is your prescription to make that car run tip-top. I don't even like the car. I don't care about the car. If I want a car that's that tip-top, I'll go to the dealership and say, give me that one. But that's what they do. They'll change it. They'll try to get you. The same thing with the dentist. Well, I think you need an expander. You're not too old to get an expander. Maybe you'll need that. You'll need this. And you've never pulled that back wisdom to never had given me a problem. Doesn't even have a cavity on it. Well, it may give you problems, but it's not. But you'll leave there with the cleaning. You'll leave with some sort of apparatus that went around your head and took a super nice sharp image. And before you leave, you will have your prescription. In other words, here's your medical advice. By the end of summer, you'll have perfect teeth. I don't need to be a movie star. You see how people add so much stuff and each one is going to get something different. But Jesus just has the same prescription every time. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows how to take it. You just got to do it. Why? Because we need God's grace and it's sufficient. Look at this quote. This quote is coming from Paul. And he said to me, that is, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's the teaching here? He said to me, that means God is responding. Jesus is responding to Paul's prayer. This is a teaching moment. He's teaching the world something also in this response. Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness. The human body is weak. Now, I know this doesn't make sense to us, but sometimes we go through suffering because God wants you closer. He has a thorn in His flesh, wants it gone, but doesn't remove it. God doesn't remove it because He says in your weakness, this is what keeps you connected to Me because you're looking to Me for prayer, you're looking to me for guidance. You're looking to me for... And ultimately, where do we go? 
back to God. This is what uh, Solomon says. We go back, the soul goes back to God who gave it. And so this is a, a part of the human experience that when we're sick, when we're um, lowly, when we're depressed, when we have anxiety, when we don't know what to do, when we feel lost, when we, we connect with God. And it's okay. It's okay. Everyone goes through it. And this is something that God put there for us to cling to Him more and more and more. And I know sometimes we don't understand that, but it should be very comforting to know that God wants you close when these things are happening. And what else? We have to gladly take on infirmities. We may not like them. And I know this sounds odd also, but we need to enjoy the human experience and experience it completely. Look at the reason. To realize the power of Christ and where we will rest. Here's a conclusion. With God, all things are possible. Look at what Jesus said. And Jesus said to His disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Let's take this out of the context of money. It's hard for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. A man who thinks he has everything he needs. You see, it doesn't say it's for the um, wealthy, uh, like millionaires and so forth. No, no, no. It's just somebody who thinks he doesn't need anything. Somebody who thinks they have everything already. He says, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So it's difficult. It's difficult, but here's what I'm saying. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes things in in what we do in our world is difficult. But look what the Bible has been teaching us. If you do what he says, if you make an active decision to be a part of Christianity, be faithful, worship, and try to do what he says with a good heart, keep praying, keep faithfulness, guess what? You're going to make it. You're going to make it through the eye of the needle. It's when you lose heart that you don't make it. But when you stay faithful, no matter your imperfections, he makes you perfect. When you stay trying to be faithful, working, and doing all to to do the will of God. Look at verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Because it sounds impossible. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men, this is impossible. There's no way you could do it. You couldn't save yourself. You couldn't even get yourself through the eye of a needle if you wanted to. But with God, all things are possible. Here's what we've learned by these quotes. They have one thing that threads that needle through all these quotes. That if it's the will of God, it's not only possible, it's guaranteed. That's the promise. So whether it's being filled with the quenching spiritual teaching as if it's water, whether it's going out to fish for men and you think it's impossible, God said, I'll give you water. God said, you will fish men. Whether it's anything we looked at tonight, whether it's, you know, have an infirmity. He says, I did that so you could be closer to me. 
When you have all these things going on, that needle that went through that thread all the way through the fabric says, if we do the will of God and we stay focused, it's possible. It's possible to obtain. It's when we lose focus and we think we can do things our own or our own way and in our own creations of, of religion that we lose. What a blessing. What a blessing to have Jesus as our teacher, as our great teacher. Tonight, I, I hope that all of you could gather those quotes and, and, and use something out of it for your life to be encouraged, to know that it is possible. We are on the right track. And together, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25, we will exhort each other as we see the day coming. We will keep each other faithful and we will make it because with God, it is possible. If anybody has any need of anything, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?